All right, this morning, as we're starting a study, we're starting a new study comparing Roman Catholic doctrine with Christian doctrine. Why do that study? Why is that a helpful? Well, I think it's helpful to think carefully. One, it's a way for us to think carefully about what the Bible says. Uh, and we use a lot of the same words as Catholics. We use a lot of the same terminology. But a lot of times we mean different things by those words, or we have different understandings behind those words. And so those differences matter. And as we think carefully about this, we'll, we'll see that over the coming weeks. And so really what that means is the stakes are really high as we think about this. And I don't want to downplay that at all. In fact, I want to upplay that. Uh, the stakes are high. The topics we're going to talk about specifically when it comes in future weeks to the idea of justification, which has been one of the main differences uh, throughout at least the last 500 years between Catholics and Protestants. The differences between Catholics and us on those topics are the difference between Catholics being on the same mission as us and Catholics being the mission field. And so this is really why it's important, I think, for us to think in depth about these things. But the other reason is we live in a predominantly Catholic area. Uh, the French influence is the reason for that. It's very similar to where I went to seminary in Louisville. There's a heavy, obviously, Louisville, heavy French influence, and so there's a lot of Catholicism in the area. Catholic schools are, generally speaking, better schools, uh, better academically at least. Uh, you probably have family members who are Catholic, or uh, you probably have neighbors who are Catholic, or at the very least you interact with people probably on a weekly basis, maybe on a daily basis, who are Catholic. And so this is going to help us understand the topics, be able to have hopefully informed discussions on them, to have a working knowledge of kind of uh, what they think, what we think, how to talk about these things. And really it's going to help us see that we're not on the same mission. They are the mission field. And so as we go through this study, I think we'll see that the differences that caused the Reformation 500 years ago, which is the split between Catholics and Protestants, those differences really haven't changed. They still exist today, which is why I'm calling the series Catholics versus Christians. Now, if you need some background on that, I don't mean that in a like, uh, uh, we're going to fight kind of way. But there's a specific background of why I call it that. If you want to know the background, you can ask me at lunch. But, uh, but that's my title for the series, Catholics versus Christians. So during this series, we're going to spend some time thinking about topics like justification, sanctification, the seven sacraments, uh, Mary and the saints, and purgatory. That's currently what I have planned. So if there's something that you really want to know about that's not on that list, hey, let me know, and I'll see if I can work it in. Uh, but this morning, as we get started, we're going to start by thinking about Scripture and authority. I think that's a good place to start, Scripture and authority. 
when you're thinking about differences between, well, not just between us and Catholics, but really differences and disagreements that come up between a lot of denominations as well, that's, that's a good place to start. What is revelation from God? That's really the question we're asking. How you understand that question, what is revelation from God, is going to have a large impact on what you believe and how you talk about things and understand things. And so that's really going to lay the foundation, I hope, this morning and a little bit next week of how we think about this and one of, one of the main differences, really, on the foundational level. So this is, this morning we're thinking about the differences between Catholics and Protestants when it comes to our understanding of the Bible. Uh, just a quick note, when I say Protestant, that's you. Uh, you are a Protestant if you're not a Catholic, uh, especially if you're a member of this church. I know not everyone's a member of this church, but if, if you're a member of a Baptist church, you're a Protestant. So when I say Protestant, I'm, I'm referring to you, to me, to what we believe. I know not every Protestant believes what we're going to talk about in the Bible, about the Bible this morning. Uh, liberal Protestantism is a thing, and it's something to be aware of. But for the sake of this morning, when I say Protestant, that means us, what we believe. Okay, so let's look at the Bible. It's a good place to start. Uh, let's start by looking at Psalm 19. Psalm 19. So again, we're thinking, what does, what do we believe about the Bible? What is, or better put, what does the Bible tell us about itself? So Psalm 19 is a good place to start. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 19 in verse, starting in verse 7, going through verse 11. Psalm 19, starting verse 7. The word of the Lord says this. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. And so we see a lot of things about the Bible, about the Word of God. The, the first, we could really stop after the first phrase, the law of the Lord is perfect. It's perfect. There is no error in it. It is complete. Uh, it is perfect. And then it expounds really on what that is. It's not just perfect, but it's uh, good. It's something desirous that we should long for. As uh, as Christians, the Word of God is something that sustains us and we long for. You remember when Peter, when Jesus in John chapter 6 had said some hard things, and he started out with large crowds following him, and then by the end of John chapter 6, 
really ends up with 11 people following him because it points out that Judas was there, but he was going to be the one who betrayed him. So really, the chapter starts with hundreds at the, the feeding of 5,000, thousands, really. The chapter ends by just 11. And Jesus asks the 11, are you going to leave too? And what does Peter say? To whom shall we go? You have the words of life, right? And so this is a Christian, our perspective. If we believe in Jesus, this is our perspective on the word, that Jesus is the word of life, that this book is his word to us, the word of life. Where do we see that? We don't just have to assume it from these verses, although it's pretty clear from these verses. If you look in the New Testament at 2 Timothy chapter 3, this is another main place where we see our understanding of the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. This is Paul talking to Timothy about the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 15. And how from childhood you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so here we see all scriptures breathed out by God, and all of it is profitable so that, verse 17, the man of God may be complete. In other words, everything we need to be a complete person, or as Peter puts it, everything we need for life and godliness is found in the word of God. It's sufficient. That's the word we often use. It's sufficient. We don't need anything else. Uh, we can see, again, I won't read this verse, but we see also in 2 Peter 1 how the word of God is given to us as the spirit moves in the authors and carries them along to write the Word of God. It doesn't come from human authors, 2 Peter 1, 19-21, but it is human authors writing what they are being moved to write by the Holy Spirit. And so that's a helpful verse as well, but we won't look at it. But when you take these verses together, you really get this understanding that the Bible is perfect, has no error, but it's also sufficient. It's all we need for life and godliness. And this understanding of the Bible, well, really, the Bible itself is what started the Reformation. So leading up to the 1500s, you had people like John Wycliffe and others who were translating the Bible into the common language of the people. And it was as the people were able to read the Bible, they were able to look at it themselves and study it themselves and to, uh, to know the truth of God. And that's why one of the rallying cries of the Reformation became sola scriptura, or scripture alone. Because scripture alone is our authority. And the people at that time had regained the word of God for themselves. They had it in their language. They could read it. 
And so scripture alone was our rule of faith. You might be familiar with this, but Martin Luther, he got put on trial, the trial of worms, spelled worms, and he got accused of heresy by the Catholic Church, and they charged him to recant of all his writings, to disown it, to say I was wrong. So he stood up, and he said this famous thing. He said this, Unless I am convicted by Scripture or by right reason, for I trust neither in popes nor in councils, since they have often erred and contradicted themselves, unless I am thus convinced, I am bound by the texts of the Bible. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I neither can nor will recant anything, since it is neither right nor safe to act against conscious, conscience. God help me. Amen. And that was his famous response to the, the trial, that he was going to stand on the word of God, and if he couldn't find it in the word, if he couldn't be convinced from the word, then he would not change his mind. And that was the, and, and still is really, the great rallying cry of evangelicalism or Protestantism, or at least you might say conservative uh, Protestants and evangelicals. We hold to the Bible as the word of God. So that is our understanding of the Bible. You can find that in the Baptist Faith and Message. You can find that in many confessions of faith, the Westminster Confession, uh, other confessions by Bible-believing Christians. What is the Catholic understanding of the Bible? Really, the Catholic understanding of the Bible is actually very similar to what we believe. They have a high view of Scripture. Uh, you can read uh, the councils throughout the history of the Church, the Roman Catholic Church, whether that's Trent all the way up to Vatican II. Uh, you can read these statements about this high view of Scripture that the Bible is true and is the revelation of God and is without error. And they've been consistent in holding to that. So really, that position is very similar to us. Uh, and even in the face of uh, liberal theology over the last hundred years, Catholic doctrine has still, they've had inroads of liberalism as well, just like Protestants or evangelicals. But the official teaching of the Catholic Church still holds to that view of Scripture, that it's inerrant, that it's the Word of God, His revelation to us, it's perfect. So, the difference between Catholicism and us is not really our understanding of the Bible, the view of the Bible, that it's true, but there are two differences. One of those differences is pretty immediate when you open up a Catholic Bible, because there are different books in their Bible. So, this would be one difference, right? They include the Apocrypha in their Bible, along with the 66 books that we have. Uh, I'm not going to go this morning into thoughts on the Apocrypha and the extra books. Uh, maybe I will at some future time. I would just point out that they didn't actually recognize that as part of the Bible until the 1500s with the Council of Trent. Uh, but that is one difference, major difference between us and Catholicism. We have a different book that we go off of as authoritative teaching. The other difference, and this is really the one I want to focus on, is that 
Catholics don't think the Bible is the only authority. So they say a lot of the same things that we do about the truth of the Bible and its authority as the revelation of God, but it's not just the Bible. Catholics believe that the truth of God is contained in the written books, the Bible, and in the unwritten traditions. So this is made clear in the Council of Trent, 1546. This is what's sometimes called the dual source theory, if you want a technical term, dual source theory of revelation. It just basically means they believe the Bible is the revelation of God to us and the traditions, or you might say the teachings of the church throughout the history of the Roman Catholic Church is also the revelation of God to us. So, this is not just 500 years ago. This is still what they believe today. For instance, Vatican II, this is 1956, but it's recent Catholic doctrine, says this. Hence, there exists a close connection and communication between sacred tradition and sacred scripture. For both of them, flowing from the same divine wellspring, in a certain way, merge into a unity and tend toward the same end. And here's the key sentences. Consequently, it is not from sacred scripture alone that the church draws her certainty about everything which has been revealed. Therefore, both sacred tradition and sacred scripture are to be accepted and venerated with the same devotion and reverence. And so that's the clear difference right there, that the last sentence really makes clear, both scripture and tradition in the Catholic view are to be accepted and venerated with the same devotion and reference. It's not scripture alone, but the teaching of the church, the traditions of the church are held to an equal elevation with the Bible. Uh, They're both revelation from God. Now, again, that's debated by some Catholics There are debates within Catholicism, just like there are debates within Baptist circles and Protestant circles, etc. But that is the official teaching still of the Catholic Church. They haven't changed the official doctrine, despite there being ongoing discussions about it. So Catholics would say something like this. How can we know which traditions are apostolic and which are merely human? The answer is the same way we know which scriptures are apostolic and which are merely human by listening to the magisterium or teaching authority of Christ's church. Without the Catholic Church's teaching authority, we would not know with certainty which purported books of Scripture are authentic. If the Church revealed to us the canon of Scripture, it can also reveal to us the canon of tradition by establishing which traditions have been passed down from the apostles. That's a direct quote taken off a very popular Catholic website. Uh, So that's like, you know, this year, roughly, or in the past 10 years, probably. So this makes the clear difference between the view of the Bible and Catholicism and our view of the Bible, right? We would say something very different. We still have confessions of faith. Uh, We go all the way back to the, you know, the apostolic confessions, the Apostles' Creed, the, say, London Baptist Confession, or more recently, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. And we appreciate those statements. We, we find help in them and truth in them. And yet, those traditions, those teachings from the church, because that's what they are, uh, 
they aren't revelation from God. That's the difference. We don't view them as revelation, as divine scripture to us. So, that's the difference. Let's think about some implications quickly of this. Why does that matter? Well, for us, it means that we don't have to know the official teachings or interpretations of the church in order to be confident in certain positions. Like, we can look at the Bible and see this is what the Bible says. We don't need it interpreted for us by the Pope or by church councils, etc. Not that that's unhelpful, but that's not the definitive word of God to us. This is the definitive word of God, and so we hold to this alone. And that's incredibly good news, that the Bible is sufficient. We're not relying on people. We're not relying on anything else besides the Bible And that really makes us appreciate the Bible a lot more. It makes us want to study the Bible a lot more. This is the word of God to us. This is all we need. All we need. It's great to read books about the Bible. Great to listen to podcasts, listen to other preachers about the Bible, etc. But what we need most is the word of God itself. So instead of just reading books about the Bible, we need to read the Bible. Uh, We need to be devoted to it. Uh, It's the new year. Lots of people make plans to read the Bible in the new year. This is why. Because it matters. Because it is our sole authority, the word of God to us. So it's a good thing to make goals and resolutions to read the Bible in the new year. All right. Here's what I want to do with the time remaining. I think this will be helpful. This isn't going to take long. It's 1120. I'm going to say I have 10 minutes, but I won't take all of it. Turn to 2 Thessalonians 2.15. Because this is where Catholics would turn to and say, look, we're supposed to follow not just the Bible, but also traditions. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 15. And so I think it's helpful to know this verse and to understand it so we can be knowledgeable. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 says this, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. This is a command. You notice the command, stand firm, hold fast to the traditions, 2 Thessalonians 2.15. So Catholics would look at that and say, listen, we're actually obeying the Bible. Protestants, you aren't obeying the Bible because you're not holding to traditions. You're just holding to the Bible, not the Bible and traditions. The Bible tells us to do this. Well, Contextually, there's no reason to think that this tradition, these oral traditions here, are any different than what was written down in the Bible. For example, you look in context, if you go back up to verse 5 in this chapter, it says this, Do you not remember, this is Paul writing, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? In other words, The things Paul's writing right now in this letter are the same things he told to them. And so these oral traditions, these teachings that they had received from Paul or from the other apostles, they're the same things that are being written down in the Bible. They're not separate traditions or teachings. They're actually just the Bible's teachings, right? So that's one thing to notice. And specifically, this tradition is being spoken of here in Verse 15, it's talking about 
the gospel or the salvation message. So it's not talking about church teaching on specific things. It's actually talking about the gospel, the salvation message. For example, if you just look in the verses right before verse 15, verse 13 and 14, it's talking about salvation. We ought always, verse 13, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God shows you as first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel. You're saved through the gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us. What were they taught? They were taught the gospel message that led to salvation. Paul is telling them, hold fast to that. That is the teaching you are supposed to hold fast to. And so when we read the Bible, the Bible's view of what is tradition means traditions that they were talking about, the gospel, the the message of salvation. And that message is not separate from the Bible, something we find outside the Bible, but it's the message of the Bible that's clearly written here for us. And so it shouldn't surprise us that at a time when the Bible was literally still being written, that there were teachings of the apostles being spoken as they were still writing down these things. And that's why we would say, now that the Bible has been completely written, we have all we need, because they wrote it down. There's not still another message we need outside of it. So that's a helpful verse. I will end there. That's a helpful verse to think about just some of the things that might come up. But this is a summary. We have the Word of God. It is sufficient for us, and it is the only revelation of God to us. We need nothing else. It is only Scripture, and so we stand on Scripture alone.